Chapter 51, Part 1 of The Deluge, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. The Deluge, Volume 2, by Henrich Sienkiewicz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 51, Part 1 September 6. The Polish troops arrived at Vansosh and disposed themselves for rest, so that before battle horses and men might gain strength. Pan Gosievsky, the hetman, decided to halt there four or five days, but events interfered with his reckoning. Babinich as a man knowing the boundary well was sent out on reconnaissance he was given two light lithuanian squadrons and a fresh chambul of tartars for his own tartars were overmuch wearied skosievsky enjoined on him earnestly before starting to obtain an informant and not to return empty-handed but babinich merely laughed thinking to himself that he needed no urging and that he would bring prisoners even if he had to find them in the entrenchments of prostki in fact he returned in forty-eight hours bringing a number of prussians and swedes and among them an officer of note von russell captain in a prussian regiment under boguslav the party was received at the camp with great applause there was no need of torturing the captain for babinich had already done that on the road by putting the sword point to his throat from his statement it transpired that not only the prussian regiments of count waldeck were in prosky but also six swedish regiments under command of major-general israel of these four were of cavalry under peter's freitson tauben und ammerstein and with two of infantry under the brothers Engel, of prussian regiments which were very well equipped besides that of count waldeck himself there were four those of the prince of wismar brunsel koneberg general walrat with four squadrons of boguslav's command two being of prussian nobles and two of his own men supreme command was held by count waldeck in reality however he obeyed in everything prince boguslav to whose influence the swedish general israel also yielded but the most important intelligence was given by russell was this that two thousand chosen infantry of pomerania were hastening from elko to reinforce prostki but count waldeck fearing lest these men might be taken by the horde wished to leave the fortified camp join the pomeranians and then make entrenchments a second time boguslav according to russell was so far rather strongly opposed to leaving prosky and only during the last days began to incline toward this action kosievsky on hearing this news was greatly rejoiced for he was certain that victory would not miss him the enemy might defend themselves for a long time in the entrenchments but neither the swedish nor the prussian cavalry 
could resist the Poles in the open field. Prince Boguslav seemed to understand this fact as well as Kosievsky, and for this special reason he did not much approve Waltek's plans. But he was too vain not to yield before even the reproach of excessive caution. Besides, he was not distinguished for patience. It might be reckoned almost with certainty that he would grow weary of waiting in trenches and would seek fame and victory in the open field. Kosievsky had simply to hasten his advance on the enemy at the moment when they were leaving the entrenchments. So thought he. So thought other colonels, such as Hassan Bey, who led the horde, Voynilovich, who led the king's regiment, Korsak, a light horse colonel, Volodyovsky, Kotovich, and Babinich, all agreed on one point, that it was necessary to give up further rest and march in the night, that is, in a few hours. Meanwhile, Korsak sent his banneret, Biagonsky to Prosky to inform the advancing army every hour of what was taking place in the camp. Volodyovsky and Babinich took Rasil to their headquarters to learn something more of Boguslav. The captain was greatly alarmed at first, for he felt still at his throat Kmita's sabre point, but wine soon loosened his tongue. Since he had served once in the Commonwealth in a foreign command, he had learned Polish, therefore he was able to answer the questions of the little knight who did not know German. "'Have you been long in the service of Prince Boguslav?' asked Volodyovsky. "'I do not serve in his army,' answered Russell, "'but in the elector's regiment, which was put under his command.' "'Then you know Pan Sakovich. I have seen him in Königsberg. Is he with the prince? He is not. He remained in Tarogi. Volodyevsky sighed and moved his mustaches. I have no luck as usual, said he. Be not grieved, Michael, said Babinich. You will find him. If not, I shall. Then he turned to Brussel. You are an old soldier. You have seen both armies, and you know our cavalry of old. What do you think? On whose side will be victory? If they meet you outside the trenches, on yours. But you cannot take the trenches without infantry and cannon, especially since everything is done there with Radzivil's head. Then do you consider him such a great leader? Not only is that my opinion, but it is the general opinion in both armies. They say that at Warsaw the most serene king of Sweden followed his advice, and therefore won a great battle. The prince, as a Pole, has a better knowledge of your warfare, and can manage more quickly. I saw myself that the king of Sweden, after the third day of battle, embraced him in front of the army and kissed him. It is true that he owed his life to him, for had it not been for the shot of the prince, but it is a terror to think of it. He is besides an incomparable knight, whom no man can meet with any weapon. Hmm, said Volodyovsky, maybe there is such a man. 
when he said this his mustaches trembled threateningly roussel looked at him and grew suddenly red for a time it seemed that either he would burst a blood vessel or break into laughter but at last he remembered that he was in captivity and controlled himself quickly but kabita with his steel eyes looked at him steadily and said that will be shown to-morrow but is bohuslav in good health asked volodyovsky for the fever shook him a long time and it must have weakened him he is and has been this long time as healthy as a fish and takes no medicine the doctor at first wanted to give him many preservatives but immediately after the first came a pyroxym prince bogoslav gave orders to toss that doctor up in sheets and that helped him for the doctor himself got a fever from fright to toss him up from sheets asked Bolodjowski. i saw it myself answered Burisel. two sheets were placed one above the other and the doctor put in the centre of them four strong soldiers took the sheets by the corners and threw up the poor doctor i tell you gentlemen that he went nearly ten ells into the air and he had hardly come down when they hurtled him up again general israel count valdek and the prince were holding their sides from laughter many of the officers were looking at the spectacle till the doctor fainted then the prince was free of fever as if some hand had removed it though pan michael and babinich hated Bogoslav, they still could not restrain themselves from laughter when they heard of this joke babinich struck his knees and cried ah the scoundrel how he helped himself i must tell zagloba of this medicine said pan michael it cured him of the fever said roussel but what is that when the prince does not restrain sufficiently the impulses of his blood and therefore will not live to ripe age i think so too muttered babinich such as he do not live long does he give away to himself in the camp asked pan michael of course answered roussel count valdek laughed saying that his princely grace takes with him waiting maids i saw myself two handsome maidens his attendants told me that they were there to iron his lace but god knows babinich when he heard this grew red and pale then he sprang up and seizing Rasil by the arm began to shake him violently are they poles or germans not poles said the terrified Rasil. one is a prussian noblewoman the other is a swede who formerly served the wife of general israel babinich looked at pen michael and drew a deep breath a little knight was relieved too and began to move his moustaches gentlemen permit me to rest said roussel i am dreadfully tired for the tartar led me ten miles with the laria kmita clapped his hands for Zaroka and commended the prisoner to him then he turned with quick step to pan michael enough of this said he i would rather perish a hundred times than live in this ceaseless alarm and uncertainty when roussel mentioned it those women just now i thought that 
someone was going at my temple with a club. It is time to finish, said Volodyovsky, shaking his saber. At that moment, trumpets sounded at the hetman's quarters. Soon trumpets answered in all the Lithuanian squadrons and pipes in the chambuls. The troops began to assemble, and an hour later were on the march. Before they had gone five miles, a messenger hurried up from Biagonsky of Korsak's squadron, with intelligence from the hetman that a number of troopers had been seized from a considerable body occupied in collecting on that side of the river all the wagons and horses of the peasants. Interrogated on the spot, they acknowledged that the tabor of the whole army was to leave Prostki at about eight o'clock in the morning, and that commands were issued already. Let us praise God and urge on our horses, said Gosievsky, before evening. That army will be no longer in existence. He sent the horde neck and head to push with utmost endeavor between Valtek's troops and the Pomeranian infantry, hastening to aid them, after the foolhard went Lithuanians, being mainly of the light squadrons, they came right after the horde. Kamita was in the front rank of the Tartars, and urged on his men till the horses were steaming. On the road he bowed down on the saddle, struck his forehead on the neck of his horse, and prayed with all the powers of his soul. Grant me, O Christ, to take vengeance, not for my own wrongs, but for the insults brought on the country. I am a sinner. I am not worthy of thy grace. But have mercy on me. Permit me to shed the blood of heretics, and for thy praise I will fast and scourge myself every week on this day till the end of my life. Then to the most holy lady of Chinstova, whom he had served with his blood, and to his own patron besides, he did commit himself. And, strong with such protection, he felt straight away that an immense hope was entering his soul, that an uncommon power was penetrating his limbs, a power before which everything must fall in the dust. It seemed to him that wings were growing from his shoulders, joy embraced him like a whirlwind and he flew in front of his starters so that sparks were scattered from under the hoofs of his steed thousands of wild warriors bent forward to the necks of their ponies and shot along after him a river of pointed caps rose and fell with the rush of the horses bowls rattled behind the men's shoulders in front went the sound of the tramp of iron hoofs from behind flew the roar of the oncoming squadrons like the deep roar of a great swollen river and thus they flew on in the rich starry night which covered the roads and the fields they were like a mighty flock of ravening birds which had smelled blood in the distance fields oak groves meadows sped past till at long last the waning moon became pale and inclined in the west then they reined in their beasts and halted for final refreshment. It was not further now than two miles from Prostki. The Tartars fed their horses with barley from their hands so that the beasts might gain strength before battle. 
but Kamita sat on a fresh pony and rode further to look at the camp of the enemy. After an hour's ride he found in the wills the light horse party which Corsac had sent to reconnoitre. Well, asked Kamita, what is to be heard? They are not sleeping, they are bustling like bees in a hive, answered the banneret. They would have started already, but have not wagons sufficient. Can the camps be seen from some point near at hand? It can from that height which is covered with bushes. The camp lies over there in the valley of the river. Does your grace wish to see it? Lead on. The banneret put his spurs to his horse, and they rode to the height. Day was already in the sky, and the air was filled with a golden light. But along the river, on the opposite low bank, there lay still a dense fog. Hidden in the bushes, they looked at that fog growing thinner and thinner. At last, about two furlongs distant, a square earthwork was laid bare. Kamita's glance was fixed on it with eagerness. But at the first moment he saw only the misty outlines of tents and wagons standing in the center along the entrenchments. The blaze of fires was not visible. He saw only smoke rising in lofty curls to the sky in sign of fine weather. But as the fog vanished, Pan Andrei could distinguish through his field glasses blue, Swedish, and yellow Prussian banners planted on the entrenchments then masses of soldiers cannon and horses around there was silence broken only by the rustle of bushes moved by the breeze and the glad morning twitter of birds but from the camp came a deep sound evidently no one was sleeping and they were preparing to march for in the centre of the entrenchment was an unusual stir whole regiments were moving from place to place some went out in front of the entrenchments around the wagons there was a tremendous bustle cannon also were drawn from the trenches it cannot be but they are preparing to march said Kamita. all the prisoners said they wished to make a junction with the infantry and aside they do not think that the hetman can come up before evening and even if he were to come up they prefer a battle in the open field to yielding that infantry to the knife. About two hours will pass before they move, and at the end of two hours the hetman will be here. Praise be to God, said the banneret. Send to tell our men not to feed too long. According to order. But have they not sent away parties on this side of the river? To this side they have not sent one, but they have sent some to their infantry marching from Elko. It is well, said Kamira, and he descended the height and commanded the party to hide longer in the rushes, moved back himself with all the breath in his horse to the squadron. Kosievsky was just mounting when Babinich arrived. The young knight told quickly what he had seen and what the position was. The hetman listened with great satisfaction and urged forward the squadrons without delay. Babinich's party went in advance. 
after it the lithuanian squadrons then that of valionovich and of lauda the hetman's own and others the horde remained behind for hassan bey begged for that with insistence fearing that his men might not withstand the first onset of the heavy cavalry he had also another reckoning he wished when the lithuanians struck the enemy's front to seize the camp with his tartars in a camp he expected to find very rich plunder the hetman permitted this thinking justly that the tartars would strike weakly on the cavalry but would fall like madmen on the tabor and might raise a panic especially since the prussian horses were less accustomed to their terrible howling in two hours as Kamita had predicted they halted in front of that elevation from which the scouting party had looked into the entrenchments and which now concealed the march of all the troops the banneret seeing the troops approaching sprang forward like lightning with intelligence that the enemy having withdrawn the pickets from this side of the river had already moved and that the rear of the tabor was just leaving the entrenchments when he heard this gosievsky drew his baton from the holsters of the saddle and said they cannot return now for the wagons block the way in the name of the father son and the holy ghost there is no reason to hide any longer he beckoned to the bunchuk bear and he raised the horsetail standard aloft waved it on every side at this sign all the horsetail standards began to wave trumpets thundered tartar pipes squeaked six thousand sabres were gleaming in the air and six thousand throats shouted jesus mary allah ah, allah then squadron after squadron rose in a trot from behind the height in valdek's camp they had not expected guests so soon for a feverish movement set in the drums rattled uninterruptedly the regiments turned with front to the river it was possible to see with the naked eye generals and colonels flying between the regiments they hurried to the centre with the cannon so as to bring them forward to the river after a while both armies were not further than a thousand yards from each other they were divided only by a broad meadow in the centre of which a river flowed another moment and the first streak of white smoke bloomed out from the prussian side toward the poles the battle had begun the hetman himself sprang toward kamita's troops advance babinich advance in god's name against that line and he pointed with his baton to the gleaming regiment of cavalry follow me demanded pan andrei and pressing his horse with spurs he moved at a gallop toward the river more swiftly than an arrow from a bow did they shoot forward the horses had gained their highest speed and were running with ears dropped back and bodies stretched out like the bodies of hounds the riders bent forward to the manes of their horses and howling lashed toward the beasts which now did not seem to touch the earth they rushed with that impetus to the river the water did not restrain them for they came upon a broad ford level and sandy they reached the other bank and sprang on in a body seeing this the regiment of armored cavalry moved toward them 
first at a walk then at a trot and did not go faster but when kamita's front had come within twenty yards the command fire was heard and a thousand arms with pistols were stretched forward a line of smoke ran from one end of the rank to the other then the two bodies struck each other with a crash the horses reared at the first blow over the heads of the combatants glittered sabres through the whole length of the line a serpent as it were of lightning flew from end to end the ominous clang of blades against helmets and breastplates was heard to the other side of the river it seemed as if hammers were ringing in forges on plates of steel the line bent in one moment unto a crescent for since the centre of the german cavalry yielded pushed back by the first onset the wings against which less force were directed kept their places but the armoured soldiers did not let the centre be broken and a terrible slaughter began on one side enormous men covered with armour resisted with the whole weight of horses on the other the grey host of tartars pushed with the force of accumulated impetus cutting and thrusting with an inconceivable rapidity which only uncommon activity and ceaseless practice can give as when a host of woodcutters rush at a forest of pine trees there is heard only the sound of axes and time after time some lofty tree falls to the ground with a fearful crash so every moment some one of the cavalry bent his shining head and rolled under his horse the sabres of Kamita's men glittered in their eyes cut around their faces eyes hands in vain does a sturdy soldier raise his heavy sword before he can bring it down he feels a cold point entering his body then the sword drops from his hand and he falls with a bloody face on the neck of his horse when a swarm of wasps attack in an orchard him who is shaking down fruit vainly does the man ward them off with his hands try to free himself dodge aside they reach his face skilfully reach his neck and each one drives into him a sharp sting so did kmita's raging men trained in so many battles rush forward hew cut thrust spread tear and death more and more stubbornly surpassing their opponents as much as a skilful craftsman surpasses the sturdiest apprentice who is wanting in practice therefore the german cavalry began to fall more quickly and the centre against which kmita himself was fighting became so thin that it might break at any moment commands of officers summoning the soldiers to shattered places were lost in the uproar and wild shouting the line did not come together quickly enough and kmita pressed with increasing power wearing chain-mail a gift from the sepeda he fought as a simple soldier having with him the youngest Kaimliches and Soroka. Their office was to guard their master, and every moment some one of them turned to the right or to the left, giving a terrible blow. But Kamita rushed on his chestnut horse to the thickest of the fight, and having all the secrets of Pan Michael and gigantic strength, he quenched men's lives quickly. Sometimes he struck with his whole sabre, sometimes he barely reached with the point, sometimes he described a small circle merely 
but quick as lightning, and the horseman flew head downward under his beast, as if a thunderbolt had hurled him from the saddle. Others withdrew before the terrible man. At last Pen Michael Andre slashed the standard-bearer in the temple. He gave forth a sound like that which a cock gives if his throat is cut, and dropped the standard from his hand. At that moment the center broke, and the discorded wings formed two chaotic bodies, fled swiftly to the farther lines of the Prussian army. Kamita looked through the broken center into the depth of the field, and saw at once a regiment of red dragoons flying like wind to the aid of the broken cavalry. "'That is nothing,' thought he. "'Volodyovsky will cross the ford in a moment to aid me.' At that instant was heard the thunder of cannon, so loud that the earth trembled in its foundations. Musketry rattled from the entrenchment to those ranks of the Poles who had pushed forward most. The whole field was covered with smoke, and in that smoke Kamita's volunteers and Tartars closed with the dragoons. But from the side of the river no one came with assistance. The enemy had let Kamita pass the ford purposefully, and then covered the ford with such a dreadful shower from cannons and muskets that no living foot could pass through it. The troops of Pankorsak tried first and turned back in disorder. Next the squadron of Vojnilovich went into the middle of the fort, and turned back. Slowly, it is true, for that was the king's regiment, one of the most valiant in the army, but with a loss of twelve noted nobles and nineteen soldiers. The water in the fort, which was the only passage through the river, was splashing under the blows of balls as under a dense pouring rain. Cannonballs flew to the other bank, casting around clouds of sand. Gosievsky himself rode up on a gallop, and when he had seen this, he knew that it was impossible for one living man to reach the opposite bank. And still, that might decide the fate of the battle. Then the forehead of the hetman frowned sternly. For a while he looked through his glass along the whole line of the enemy's troops, and cried to the orderly, Rush to Hassan Bay, let the horde pass the deep bank as it can, and strike the tabor. What they find in the wagons will be theirs. There are no cannon there, it will be only hand to hand. The horseman sprang forward with what breath was in his horse, but the hetman advanced to where under the willows on the meadow stood the Lauda squadron, and halted before it. Volodyovsky was at the head of the squadron, gloomy and silent, but he looked in the eyes of the hetman, and his mustaches quivered. "'What do you think?' asked the hetman. "'Will the Tartars cross?' "'The Tartars will cross, but Kamita will perish,' answered the little knight. "'As God lives,' cried the hetman suddenly, "'this Kamita, if he had a head on his shoulders, might win the battle, and not perish.' Volodyovsky said nothing. Still, he thought— it was necessary either not to send any regiment across the river, or to send five. The hatman looked a while yet through his glass at the distant confusion which Kamita was making beyond the river, but the little knight, not being able to endure any longer, drew near him, and holding his saber point upward, said, Your worthiness, 
If there were an order, I would try the ford again. Stop, said Gosievsky rather sharply. It is enough that those will perish. They are perishing already, replied Volodyovsky. And in truth, uproar was becoming more definite and greater every moment. Evidently, Kamita was retreating to the river. As God lives, I wanted that cried the hetman suddenly, and he sprang like a thunderbolt to Vonilovich's squadron. In fact, Kamita was retreating. After they had met the red dragoons, his men fought with their last strength. But the breath was already failing in their breasts. Their wearied hands were drooping, and bodies were falling faster and faster. Only hope that aid might come any moment from beyond the river kept courage in them yet. Half an hour more passed, and the cry of strike was heard no longer, but to the aid of the Red Dragoons sprang Boguslav's regiment of heavy cavalry. Death is coming, thought Kamita, seeing them approaching from the flank. But he was a soldier who never had a doubt, for a moment, not only of his life, but of victory. Long and hazardous practice had given him also great knowledge of war. Therefore, lightning at dusk does not flash and then die out so quickly as the following thought flashed to the head of Pan Andrei. Evidently, the Poles could not cross the ford to the enemy, and since they could not, he would lead the enemy to them. Boguslav's regiment was coming on at full sweep and not more than a hundred yards distant. Any moment, they would strike and scatter his Tartars. Pan Andrei raised the pipe to his mouth and whistled so shrilly that the nearest dragoon horses rose on their haunches. That instant other pipes of the Tartar leaders repeated the whistle, and not so swiftly does the whirlwind twist the sand as that Shambul turned its horses in flight. The remnant of the mailed cavalry, the Red Dragoons, and Boguslav's regiment sprang after them with all speed. The shouts of the officers, Naprozda, forward, and Kot mit uns, God with us, rang like a storm, and a marvelous sight was seen then. Over the broad meadow rushed the disordered and confused shamble of Tartars straight to the ford, which was rained on with bullets and balls, and they tore onward as if carried with wings. Every Tartar lay on the horse, flattened himself, hid himself in the mane on, on the neck, in such fashion that had it not been for the cloud of arrows flying back toward the cavalry, it might be said that the horses were rushing on riderless. After them, with roaring, shouting, and trampling, followed gigantic men with upraised swords gleaming in their right hands. The ford was nearer and nearer. There was half a furlong left yet, and evidently the Tartar horses were using their last strength, for the distance between them and the cavalry was quickly decreasing. A few moments later, the front ranks of the pursuers began to cut with their swords the Tartars closing the rear. The ford was right there. It seemed that in a few springs the horses would be in it. And suddenly something wonderful happened. Behold, when the Shambul had run to the ford, 
a shrill whistle of pipes was heard again on the wings and the whole body instead of rushing into the river to seek safety on the other bank opened into and with a speed of swallows sprang to the right and left with and against the flow of the river but the heavy regiments rushing right on their shoulders with the highest horse speed raced into the ford with the same force and only when in the water did the horsemen begin to hold their furious beasts the cannon which up to that moment had been showering a rain of iron on the gravel were silent in a second the gunners had to spare their own army end of chapter fifty one part one